0: Thanks to everyone who came to campus Christmas. What a wonderful show for an incredible cause. It's not too late to donate to the Say It Loud Club if you couldn't come. One more show before Christmas, King's Place, two episodes on Wednesday, the 14th of December. Back with a bang in the new year with four shows at Soho Theatre. On Wednesday, the 4th of January, we're having a very special town hall where we try and solve a problem together and you can come up and take the mic. On Thursday, the 5th of January, we're having a special, uh, Shapi Kosandi and I are co-hosting a special about the terrible situation in Iran And on Friday, the 6th of January and Saturday, the 7th of January, guests to be announced. Thursday, the 26th of January, we are back at King's Place. Sunday, 29th of January, we're at the Rose Theatre in Kingston. For more details and to book, go to guiltyfeminist.com. Join our Patreon to support the show and get ad-free episodes and more besides. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you don't mind. And now, back to the show. Hello, Christchurch! (laughs) Cal Wilson and Deborah Francis-White! I've got so much trousers to adjust as I sit down. Oh, they're so great, they're so great. Cal Wilson, mm-hmm. it's been too long since I've seen you. Two and a half years. Now, the last time I saw you... It was a long interval. February 2020, you yes. and I went on tour together. We did lots of dates together. The last dates were in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. We did Christchurch, uh, Wellington, Auckland, I think. And I remember the show that was. We did a show at the Wellington Arena, and there was this thing called COVID in the news. And there yeah. was jokes about it. It was like, yeah. but not like mean jokes, but like you know, it was. A, it started on a cruise ship or something. You know, we'd we'd heard this, you know, thing about a cruise ship. And we did a... Remember we had that vibrator on the stage that Grace referenced before? Yes. And uh, there was...
3: (laughs) (laughs) There's Grace remembering it again. Yes. (laughs)
0: Uh, And it was all really fun and we had such a good time in New Zealand. We said, right, Grace said, we've got to come back here. And uh, she said, I'm going to come back here on tour as soon as possible. And I said, I think I'm going to come back to Australia and New Zealand a second time this year. I think we should tour twice because that's how good the tour was. And uh, we did this final big show. I think it was the the final one, might have been Auckland, but Mm -hmm. the the biggest show was Wellington. And then we got, then we go on. Uh, There was a moment in Auckland where um,
3: we had been uh, asked, invited to the Sky Tower to um, have drinks. And Deborah did this amazing job of blagging our way into a private party. Like, she did this incredible job of, like, talking us up the Sky Tower into this private party, but it was for Deborah. And we didn't know until after she'd convinced them to let her in that it was, oh, no, that was for us anyway. But. Did you I mean crash that? my own party? You Crashed your own party. Like, did I yeah, crash
0: the VIP room at my own you did, party? Like it was that an amazing like job.
3: Me. Like even if it had been for someone else, we would have got in. But you did put more
0: effort in than then you needed. Strictly needed <laughs> to get into my own party. I do remember that. There was a, a guilty feminist listener who was such a big fan of uh, the show, and she worked for the Sky Tower at the time. Yes. So we got Fancy Night in a suite and a- You pr- got we Fancy got... Night in a suite. I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I got a fancy night this week and we, yeah, she threw us this party at the top of the Sky Tower. Private party mm. with free booze and stuff. If you're listening, Sky Tower, she's left now. She's, <laughs> no, she's gone to do a feminist job. She went, she was like, she just felt so inspired by the, you know, the show and everything. She just said, I, I can't do hospitality anymore. I'm going to go and do something feminist, which, I mean, I'm all for. <laughs> but she's left hospitality and there's no more VIP parties for us. So if you're listening and you're in hospitality and you're thinking, Deborah needs more private parties.
3: But, but what she needs is a party that she feels she's earned. So, like, you've got to... Even if it's for her, you've got to pretend it's not. You've got to be like, Oh, no, this is for Joe Rogan. Oh, oh, no, this is a private party for Jordan Peterson. And then Deborah... Legs are Surprise, we're all feminists.
0: I cannot imagine me ever wanting to crash the <laughs> Joe Rogan hour party. Can you imagine the grim men who would be in that party? And listen, I listen. I love men. I, may, many men, I don't want to be like, ooh, straight white men. You know, like, I've got so many, so many, you know, some of my favourite husbands are straight white men. <laughs> A lot of my favourite David Attenboroughs are straight white men. You know, like, it's not that at all. It's just that the men who listen to Joe Rogan and would bother to show up for the party... I mean, what a crossover
3: episode, though, really.
0: like <laughs> We have dance some crossover episodes, like, with really... With Joe Rogan?
3: No, no, no.
0: With things Juliet, like no such thing as a fish or, you know, we're doing ones with Brown Girls Do It Too. I haven't thought of doing one with Joe Rogan. I might approach him <laughs> just to see. I mean... Wouldn't it be something? It might be worth doing. You it know. would it would probably take in the population of the entire world. <laughs> we look, I could win him over. Maybe. So, I,
3: I just like envisaging you with like a little little piece of chocolate in your hand and just holding it out with your hand your fingers flat, like you know, when you're when you're at Willow Bank. <laughs> And his little waffly nose, like, oh, what's this? Do you, think I could get
0: jo- do you think I could get Joe Rogan with, jo- with treats? Maybe, I don't know. I was visualising a donkey then, but... Joe Rogan, if you're listening and you would like a treat of any sort, slash you want to do a crossover episode with me, I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. I'm all about building bridges. And if I could build a bridge to Joe Rogan and lure him over it, I absolutely would. I think my chances are minimal. I'll be honest. He's making a lot of money being Joe Rogan. I feel we're in a field of
3: dreams moment
0: <laughs> where, you if know, you if you build
3: it, it they will come. Like, I feel like we've said it out loud. Like we're kind of, the more we're talking about it, the more real we're making it. <laughs> it's like in Peter Pan when you have to clap for Tinkerbell so that she knows she exists. Like the more we talk about it, I'm manifesting, I'm manifesting, I'm doing the secret, I'm doing the secret. <laughs>
0: Do you, I th- it would be, a, it would be a, impactful if Joe Rogan went, The Feminists Are Right. I think it would. I mean, I, probably actually, what would happen is a lot of his followers would just go, Oh, well, he's lost it. You know, they've, they've won he him needs over the Ball. We've lost, we've lost him to wokeness. <laughs> do you think that's what would happen? Probably. Or do you think they'd, he'd bring some along? I don't know.
3: Is there anyone here that loves Joe Rogan as well as the guilty feminist? <laughs>
0: Venn diagram. Who's in the Venn imagine, diagram? Imagine if it was,
3: like, his mum in the audience going, I do, look, I've talked to him, but... <laughs> Is Joe Rogan's mum in? No. Imagine, um, imagine. I think Christchurch <laughs> would have made a fuss if that was, like, oh, we, we, um, uh, they split the atom here and Joe Rogan happened. I think that's probably Christchurch <laughs> would... Yeah. That, that, that Ernest that Rutherford did it. do that, didn't he? Like, he did...
0: Who were the New Zealand...
3: From Nelson, I'm sorry, Nelson. I'm sorry, Nelson.
0: Who's the New Zealand uh, Joe Rogan? Like, who's the Kiwi...
3: Oh, it's an auction. I'm just hearing, the National Party!
0: (laughs) Who's the one we need to win over? Who do we need to win over in New Zealand? Brian Tamaki?
3: someone genuinely say that, or is it just my 51-year-old ears that have just... Who? Brian Bishop, Bishop Brian Tamaki. A bishop has a podcast. No, not it. No, don't. Let's not talk about him. Um, <laughs> let's get back to safer waters. Okay, okay.
0: Does anyone know Jacinda Ardern? Can it, <laughs> yes. Can you anyone WhatsApp her and see if she'll do the Guilty Feminist? Someone, I, someone I met has WhatsApped her and asked her to do it. So I feel like the more people who WhatsApp her, the more likely mm. she is to go, oh, I should do it. Maybe we should have done this before tonight. No, no, I'm, this is an ongoing project,
3: Carl, and I've said... Well, we haven't been to Wellington yet. We've I, got two days. Well, <laughs> so in two days, who knows Jacinda well enough to get her to come and do the Guilty Feminist on Sunday night? But I'll night. come
0: back especially if she'll do it. Like, I'll come oh, back... that's a good idea. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'll have to do it around her diary. The person who... <laughs> the person who... Let's be honest... The person who asked me said, oh, you've got three shows here and you wanted to do one of those. And I was like, no, she's not going to be available around my diary. I, whenever she wants to do it, I'll come and do it around her diary. And I don't also, for security reasons, we don't have to say she's on. We can just sell the show and then she can just come oh. out. And people will go,
3: gosh, she looks a lot like the Prime Minister. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's what we would do. Do remember we did that with Julia Gillard in Sydney? Yes. When I was reading out Hope bio, I said something about she was a solicitor. And, like, I read out the most obscure parts of her bio first. And then it, you could see some people going, what? Like, people who knew her bio more than others going, that sounds like... And then when I got up to the part where she gave the misogyny speech in the House of Commons, or not the House of Commons, what's it called in Australia? The bear pit. Thank you. <laughs> um, she, people just went ballistic to the extent where the sound engineer said, you can't hear who it is. They said that you, the audience at home will not know who it is because the people just were roaring um, with excitement so I reckon we could do the same with Jacinda Ardern so if suddenly there is an unannounced there's a, just a show and you don't know who the guest is just a, like randomly Deb's coming back to New Zealand for just one show and it's at a big venue, you should come because you know who it is but also if I'm not on that show don't buy any tickets You you have to bring me. Yeah, but I always do bring you, Cal. You know I do. You know. You know. uh, know, Yeah. This is you're my New Zealand work wife. I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So we should bring our guests on, but before we do, I just want to say, has your lockdown period have you come out of that stronger and more feminist or? Do you feel kind of exhausted by the experience? Where are we? Do we need to bolster you up? Or do you oh. feel like the time spent locked away? Because New- Melbourne was locked down so much. So much. Do you feel emboldened and ready for action? Or do we need to give you some Christchurch love because you're on a home- hometown territory?
3: Oh, look, I bought a packet of cheesebusters from Coopland's Bakery and I'm...
0: <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I don't understand any of those words. Cheese busters.
3: Oh, my God. Oh my. So my husband is Australian and, um, you know, proximity and to where you are. And he was the best one. Like, no, genuinely, genuinely, that sounds like I'm underselling him. He's fucking great. I love him. Uh, he doesn't listen to this. I don't need to say that, but I adore he him. He doesn't listen? Never. Never to me. Um, anyway, what I'm saying is, uh, so I've introduced him to many Kiwi things, right? Mm. And so every time we come, we have to have fish and chips with a donut because Australians don't understand that a donut from the fish shop is the best place to get a donut. They're like, what? And it goes in the oil with the fish, and you're like, yeah. They don't get it. They don't get it. It is
0: delicious. We've got two days for you to have a donut from the fish and chip shop. Honestly, Deborah. I mean, the only reason I'm tempted to go is I've never been to the fish and chip shop in New Zealand.
3: And it's the most famous thing
0: about you is the way you say fish (laughs) and chips.
3: So racist.
0: I mean... (laughs) would we say racist, or would we say we're cousins, siblings, and we're allowed to tease each Don't other? Don't you gaslight like me. <laughs> so, back oh, to... What I
3: love is that your husband's name is Chris. Chris. Oh, so we're going to introduce my Australian husband, Chris, to my grandmother, who's from Umaru, uh, And he said, my name's
0: Chris, and she went, crease, like fold. <laughs> Your friend, who I think's in the audience, who I met him in London in the 90s, dating this story wildly during Britpop, and everyone always called him Grug. grug. That was the that was the, it was a it was a running gag in London that he was called Grug. And everyone's going, I don't see what the joke is. No.
3: <laughs> well, like when Ginny before was talking and you were calling her Jeannie, I was like, no no, she's Ginny <laughs> But am I wrong, Jenny? Are you Jenny or Jeannie? You're a genie! You're a genie! genie. Well.
0: Wow. Oh, she's Jen. Oh, you're Jenny? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, you've killed Cal, and the rest of the show will just be me. So, oh, donut from the fish and chip
3: shop. Donut from the fish and chip uh, shop. What is thick and rich tomato sauce? <laughs> what? Thick and rich. Wish well, I'd never started this. Um, uh, yeah, so what is tomato sauce? Yes. And cheese busters. What? Busters, cheese busters—it's like, like a plank. It's like a plank of plywood made out of cheese.
0: <laughs> a plank of it's plywood. It's like a, it's a
3: big, it's a big flat biscuit that's extremely crumbly once you approach it.
0: Oh, and then so it's, it's like um, pastry, so it's cheesy like, pastry. It's like pastry that
3: wants to be a biscuit and it's sort of halfway there, and then it comes in a packet. It's transitioning. That... Yeah, it's like a. It's it's like a, It's an intersectional biscuit. It's a... It's a, a paste biscuit. It's a bis... It's a bistry. It's a bistry. Comes in a packet that doesn't protect it in any way and it always arrives in Melbourne
0: as crumbs. That's all it's... I'm amazed you're allowed to ship it in because in Australia they're very weird about food coming well, in. Well, it doesn't really count as a food, so it's... <laughs> I sent my family a hamper from Fortnum & Mason's, that posh department store in London, because it's also a nice thing to get at, you know, end of the year, you know, sort of wicker hamper, and it's got, like, lovely kind of English jams and things inside... They, they stole the wicker hamper at customs because <gasps> they said it might have termites in it or something.
3: Oh, it might have and termites, or we might have a picnic.
0: Yeah, and they, they opened all the marmalades and stuff like that and searched them <laughs> does, for... Does Paddington Beer work at customs? Yeah. <laughs> it was unbelievable, unbelievable. And the way sometimes when you come in, if you have anything that sort of could, have, could be food, even a small child...
3: I'll be like, <laughs> if it's got like jam around its mouth or yeah, something, or
0: just that child could be cooked and eaten, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> they're very, they're very. I
3: uh, I came back from the UK at the beginning of this year and I ran through the Fortnum and Masons bit. I was I was late for the plane and I ran through and I grabbed these because Fortnum and Mason Mason posh. Fancy English food. And so I grabbed like these tubes of biscuits that were beautifully designed and like, oh, what lovely tins. They must be delicious. And I brought them to my mum and dad. And because I was so panicked about nearly missing the flight, I chose shortbread flavoured with rose and flavoured with violet. Yeah. And we tried them the other day and it was like uh, nibbling an old lady's drawer. <laughs> it was. It was like like we'd opened a medicine cupboard in an elderly person's house and just bitten things inside. It was... Dad goes, well, this is interesting. It's a little bit like shampoo. And I was like, Graham, it's fucking a lot like shampoo. It's a lot. And so we got, we got halfway through a, a, a violet one and it was like, no, really, I feel like I've, I've eaten an elderly aunt. Like, it was... And then the rose ones, the rose, the, the rose, the rose ones were approximately food. Like they were approximately, oh yeah, well, you, you might eat this by choice, but they were awful. And, and so we like, I just laughed myself stupid at what I'd inflicted on my elderly parents. And then today, when I saw them, Mum went, look, I'm terribly sorry to have to tell you, but we gave them to the birds. <laughs> and she goes, and they ate everything else, and they just left them there. <laughs> And then she goes, and then one little sparrow came and had a bite, and it went away, and then it came back and had another bite. Then it came back, and there was basically once there was nothing else to the birds, they were like, all right, we'll eat the elderly lady. Like. Even the birds. Top what of the a bag. stunning linear intro we've done to the second half.
0: I just wanted to catch up, you know, and really <laughs> root down. That's probably the wrong thing to say in this... Neck of the woods, isn't it?
3: I think what we can take from this conversation is that tomorrow we're going to a fish and chip shop. Yeah. And you're going to make me order so that you can hear me say it, but we're going to have a donut.
0: You're going to have a donut. I'm going to give it a go, Christchurch. <laughs> and we'll, we'll be there at 11 o'clock at the bakery, she said. So if you want an extension of the show, come in, gather round. We
3: have to go to every Cooplin's bakery in Christchurch.
0: <laughs> Meet you all there. Um, come dressed as a cheese buster. <laughs> or a bird. (laughs) Okay, we've got to get our guests on. Our first guest today is Professor of Critical Animal Studies and co-director of the New Zealand Centre for Human Animal Studies at the University of Canterbury. Her PhD PhD in psychology was on feminist critiques of the medical model and so-called sexual dysfunctions. But for the past 20 years, she's been focusing her research and teaching on the links between human oppression and marginalization and animal oppression and exploitation. She has written many books and her latest research is to be published in a book called Feminist Animal Studies. And it examines how female animal bodies have been used in sometimes painful experiments in pharmacological research aimed at finding drugs for women that will be as profitable as Viagra was Marketed to men. Please welcome to the stage the incredible Annie Potts. Hello, Annie. Come take a seat. Annie Annie is joined by her colleague, who is a critical and public sociologist whose research, informed by critical and inter- intersectional feminism, focuses on mechanisms of power and marginalization expressed in through human relationships with other species. This reminds me of being at university and how you have to talk like this all the time. She is currently co-director with Annie Potts of the New Zealand Centre for Animal Studies at the University of Canterbury. Give us a cheer if you went to the University of Canterbury. Oh, give us a cheer if you didn't. Oh, I thought there was just going to be one person. Just, just, Did you go there, Cameron? Leave him alone, Deborah. <laughs> You're so, I'm just trying to bring him in and make him feel welcome. Where she also teaches... Sorry, I'm back to the guest now. Um, she also teaches topics in the Human Services Program that focus on human-animal violence links, scholar advocacy and social change for other animals. Her latest research addresses the difficulties of doing radical feminist and animal liberation scholarship in the neoliberal university. Along with the potential for feminist animal sanctuary work to create more respectful and expansive human-animal relations, please welcome to the stage Nick Taylor. Hello, Nick. Hello, Annie. Hello, Nick. Um, now, already, just from reading your bios and the you know the research I've done about you, um, I already feel less feminist in your presence. Um, <laughs> First of all, give us a cheer if you're a vegan. Okay, so we've got we've got some we've got some the vegans are very loud, yes. but not very many in number. Um, always a small. I mean, there, there's more vegans in this room than there would be at Joe Rogan's show. And I think I, I want credit for that. Yes. I don't know why I deserve it, as I myself am not vegan. Yeah, but I feel I've drawn an audience in that's, that's likely to be vegan. Just give us a cheer if you're more plant-based now than you were when you started identifying with feminism or started listening to this podcast. Yeah, more people. I've, I'm definitely more plant-based than I was, and I aim to be more plant-based. Um, can you tell us what is the link between feminism and the way we treat animals?
4: Sure. Uh, it's <laughs> Nick. <laughs> yeah, Nick's going to do this um, one. i give the examples. Okay. She's the true academic here. <laughs> no, not true. Not, no. I, I've um, just read that
0: your work's going to be in a book called Feminism and Animals, Annie. Annie so, you know. I know, but, you know. I, just put the mic up a little bit behind. Oh, sorry. So, no, yes. just so that the podcast can pick you up. Sorry. No, don't. No, please don't apologise. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, don't apologise for <laughs> apologising. <laughs> just to, oh, imagine that your male academics... And you're in a big, full theatre no, of people but... just cheering for you and loving you before you've even begun. I know.
4: I'm a feminist, but I say sorry. Yeah, no, about.
0: yeah. It's, no, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> uh, uh, we, we don't want you to feel sorry for being sorry. Nick, <laughs> tell us, what's the link between feminism and the way we treat animals?
5: Um, I, it's a big question. There's a lot of links, really. And um, however I answer this, I'm bound to piss somebody off. Um. <laughs> But for me, the link, it's an extension of intersectionality. So um, it's an outgrowth of kind of eco-feminist ideas from the 1970s where um, we became aware that the the oppression of nature and the oppression of women were linked, that the mechanisms that allowed us to to normalise one allowed us to normalise the other. And feminist animal studies, to me at least, is an outgrowth of that where the focus is more on animal species as opposed to nature generically
0: got it so do you think that the way we treat species that can't speak for themselves and therefore we can subjugate them has a broader implication because we're having to shut off some of our empathy to do that because we're having to just go oh let's just pretend that isn't true uh, is, that, is that why it's linked, that we, we, will, we will never really get equality for human beings until we get equality for animals or, like, compassionate treatment of animals?
5: I, I, I'm tempted to just say yes. <laughs> I think it's one of the ways. I certainly think that the, kind of, the way that we normalise the everyday violence that we do to animals closes down avenues for empathy and once you start to do that you close down avenues for empathy for any being that's marginalized whether Mm -hmm. it's by species or by skin color or by any other form of um of kind of marker that we have that marginalizes people and other animals so that's the long version the short version was yes
0: <laughs> so, what's your work really about? So, when you're you're doing your theses and when you're st- publishing your papers, what's the thrust of your work?
4: Well Annie? our work is different. Um, we're both in the area of uh, intersectional critical animal studies. Um, my, I guess my focus is on capitalism and consumption and how. Uh, I think that I think that actually people aren't aware of things and they need to have things exposed to them to be educated, and then they might make better choices about particular consumption. So um, for me, uh, I think about food politics and how um, well, Nick and I are both vegan, we weren't always vegan, of course. Some people are born vegan, but we weren't. Um, We, I mean, I was vegetarian for 20 years and then uh, it was actually my partner who's here, Philip Armstrong, who's also founded the New Zealand Centre for Human Animal Studies with me. Um, This is back, I don't know, 15 years ago. Um, It was him who said that, well, we need to become vegan because once you start to be aware, it's hard to block that out Mm -hmm. and as a feminist I only have to look at what's happening to the reproductive bodies of female animals in animal agriculture and um, you know to make a profit to see that there's a link so if you think about you know what happens in dairy farms uh, the cows are kept pregnant for their milk but their babies are taken off them. Um, And if they're male babies, they're taken off to slaughter within a few days, so the females keep pregnant. And so if you're supporting that industry, you're basically supporting the abuse of female animal bodies and reproductive systems, as well as the murder, slaughter of uh, baby male calves. Um, So, you know, but people don't know about these things. So it's kind of like raising awareness, really, and then you, you, then you make an informed choice as a consumer whether you're prepared to support that system, particularly I think as a feminist. I don't support a system that abuses female animals' bodies. I mean, we're female animals, and you know, I don't support the abuse of women's bodies, and I don't support it of any other animals' bodies.
0: Cal, mm-hmm. you had a question <laughs> how
3: how do you like it seems to be such a a big charged emotional topic you know like like when you say you're vegan you you immediately invite an attitude from other people mm-hmm. how do you how do you educate people without there being defenses up from like i'm I'm a meat eater mm-hmm. and it's confronting here. Like, I, d- yeah. I didn't know a bit that cows were kept pregnant and then, like, I had no idea about that until exactly. really recently. Yeah. So how... Like, what are the challenges of trying to communicate those ideas without either side of the conversation mm. being defensive?
5: Mm. Um, do you want... I'd say the short version is carefully, is how you teach people about that mm. stuff. <laughs> and we both teach this material to students, mm. to undergraduates, to postgraduates... Um, and you, you carefully, with a lot of boundaries. Um, I tend to lean a lot on feminist scholarship, people like Bell Hooks, who do a lot of work about you know teaching critical thinking. And I'm so, reading
0: her book called, um, about critical thinking at the moment. It's really incredible. It's wonderful, isn't it's it? It's so good. She was in, immense. We, she's such a loss. But, mm. uh, but she, yeah, she is very, very good at building bridges. And there is, I think, a contemporary trend towards sort of shouting at people and shaming them and often then they quickly apologize or disappear or say they agree with you when they don't and doesn't really change anything
2: Mm.
0: how are you are you trying to win over people's hearts and in doing so minds in doing so to get them to change their behavior how are you using the like the work of someone like bell hooks to to change attitudes and behaviors
5: I mean, the, the attempt to change behaviours and attitudes, I do it a lot of walks of life. I use bell hooks particularly in teaching. So um, I tend to start my students reading bell hooks and have a conversation with them about what a classroom where we foster critical thinking looks like. And then we have a pretty frank conversation in the very first week um, and I do it in the first week deliberately so that students who hate the idea can go away, get the money back, do a different course. Um, oh <laughs> and And, you know, and we, we set boundaries around the fact that we're going to be questioning whether meat eating is normal and we're going to mm. actually be flipping things on the head and normalising veganism in the classroom and, and how do we talk to each other with curiosity but with respect.
6: Mm. Um,
5: because a, what a... What I don't think you can do is is shut down the conversation because it gets you nowhere. But at the same time, you don't want people screaming at you because they've got an entrenched position. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do is really carefully kind of cultivate this idea that we can ask questions if people are open to being asked questions about their veganism, about their feminism, whatever. Um, But you need to do so with respectful curiosity rather than with an attempt to put down their beliefs and to poke holes in their beliefs because you you may not know but as a vegan the first thing you do when you tell if you tell someone that you're vegan the first thing that happens is oh well do you wear leather well do you wear wool? well do you Mm -hmm. you know they constantly look for holes and it's like that's not what we're going to do in the classroom that's not critical thinking that's moral high grounding what we're actually going to do is is sit down and have some pretty tough conversation and hopefully some giggles as we get through this stuff and
4: learn from each other really and, and I don't actually, I don't... In my courses at undergrad level, we tend to focus on popular culture. So they learn through that.
0: What, and like meat-eating and family guy? <laughs>
4: yeah, exactly, <laughs> that kind of thing. Really? So,
0: well, like... Tell um, that.
4: No, I, I don't teach family guy, though I do watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, I use... Films, like, um, I'm thinking of one now, um, like The Island of Dr Moreau. I don't know if you've ever seen that. There's a really bad version of it with Marlon Brando in his last role. And it's all about vivisection, really. Oh. And, um, but it's also really camp and very funny. And um, so we talk about animal experimentation, but through the use of a, a lighter film, Um so the issues don't appear too threatening. It's much easier to do it when you, when you work with popular culture. Nobody tends to feel threatened. Mm. Um, and then they're asked to look at stuff in their own essays. And that's their own stuff then.
0: Mm. And do you find if they do your full course that it's a, there's a trend that they start to become vegan?
4: There are always around five to ten people who write and say that their lives have been transformed Wow. yeah but mainly because I mean honestly it's really just because we're teaching things that they didn't know about it, we don't say to them do this you must do this and you must be like that I mean I call that vegan <laughs> yeah. You know, nobody likes a fundamentalist Christian and they don't like a fundamentalist vegan <laughs> so you know we don't want to be fundamentalists
0: I'll be honest, you two are a lot more fun than I thought you were going to be. <laughs> I mean, I read about your thought, they're very important. I mean, I asked for you to come on the show, um, and I thought, this is important, and we need to hear about it, and they're, they're world experts, and they're here in Christchurch. We should absolutely have them on. But I didn't think you were going to be as much fun <laughs> at all. I thought, I was going to be a bit sad and a bit serious, and every time we make a joke, they're going to look at us like why Why are you laughing, there's no need for laughing no. so I'm loving you I'm loving you, you're so reasonable
4: well <laughs> Nick and I are also very working class and we're very proud of that, being in the academy and being working class girls and um, one of the things about being a vegan is that you get to fart a lot more <laughs> being working class <laughs> we love that opportunity
0: <laughs> not at all where I thought it was going to go. Um, (laughs) Tell us about the... I I, I hesitate to do this now because we're having such a good time. Um, Of all the sentences that were going to be said tonight, that was not one that I was expecting. There's (laughs) nothing on my clipboard about this at all. Um, uh, Yes, all all of the other subjects I hesitate to go to because we're having such a good time and some of them are sad. Um, So, animals in emergencies. Let's go to that one. Um, What happens to animals in emergencies? There's an earthquake here in Christchurch. We know that that's happened and and that's been terribly difficult. Uh, What happens to animals in those situations?
4: Well, unfortunately, in most cases, the animals are the last to be thought of. Mm. Um, And what happened in Christchurch was that a lot of animals got left behind because there wasn't a civil defence policy to evacuate them with the humans that they loved and lived with. So this is pets, domestic pets? Pets, yeah. But also, well, yeah, there's pets, but, I mean, my um, colleague Danelle Gideen and I, who wrote that book that you're talking about, um, we also found out what happened in laboratories at Canterbury University and the Otago Medical School and what happened to the animals there, um, which wasn't nice. um, Mm. Because, of course, if animals are confined and an emergency happens, they can't get out, so they're trapped and... They have injuries, but they actually can't escape. Um, so, do, what do we need to do to make sure animals are safe in an emergency? Well, I think we just need to ensure that our emergency policies are include improved. animals. Include animals, absolutely. And, um, and that has changed in New Zealand since the earthquakes. Um, there was a group that I was part of for a while called the National Animal Welfare and Emergencies. Um, advisory group should advise government to change the policy because before animals had not been anywhere in it, um, and this isn't just um, companion animals or farm animals or lab animals. There were also people who gave stories to us for the book about, in um, parts of Christchurch where there had been liquefaction, so the you know the mud coming up from the um, after the earthquake comes bubbles up. And um, hedgehogs got stuck in it. And people's um, chickens had got stuck um. in it and died because they couldn't move anymore, and, you know. So there were all stories like that. Um, so there were lots of people out helping around the place, but there was just no policy set, really, that, you know... And, and all the years since the earthquake, and obviously I wasn't here when it happened, but my whole family is
3: here, I've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. I've, never, I've, I've never thought about... The liquefaction affecting mm, animals mm. like that, or the or lab animals being trapped, or yeah. it, like it's such a. Um, but when you say it, it's such an obvious. Yeah,
4: it is, and and there were cows who were being milked, who were killed on you know in the machinery and stuff when things happen.
0: So speaking of lab animals, um, Annie, you've looked at how female animals' bodies have been used in experiments in research aimed at finding drugs for women that will be as profitable as Viagra was when marketed for men. Mm. What kind of drugs are they experimenting on, animal bodies on, Mm. that are sort of... Because Viagra's got that feel around it of being a kind of social drug. Is that what you mean? That it's... Mm. How do we reconcile this? Because I really struggle with this. There are some diseases and things that have been... Cured and people's lives have been made immeasurably better. I think it's hard for us to to, we most of it's not in living memory of how many people were ill and how many people died and died of terrible things. And then we've you know a lot of the researches in science have happened with experiments on animals. But then who are we? Just because we're the the species that can dominate and colonize to gang up on other species that can't talk for themselves if animals could advocate for themselves let's be incredibly honest we would we would not do experiments on them yeah. um, if animals could speak we wouldn't kill them That's and kill right. them we yeah. wouldn't it's clear we 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 pick on them because they can't advocate for themselves yeah. and yeah. it's really awful and also i am aware that some animals aren't as sentient as others oysters aren't sentient um it's a, it's a, it's, there is a, a feeling that there's a sort of continuum and, and what do we do? Should we, if we could, turn back time and not have any of those advances in science or find other ways of having advances in medicine? Like, what's the ideal there?
4: Gee, well, if I could
0: answer that, I'd
4: probably be you know, in charge of the world, I think that's a really... I'm like, open that, to you being
0: in charge of the world. You seem great. Oh, thank you.
4: OK, I will then. <laughs> I'll be in charge of the world. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it, it's a very tricky um, question, and Nick, I might pass this over to Nick shortly. <laughs> oh, I see. Because I see. she gets the tricky ones. But I do just want to talk about one case where we can start to think differently about how we use drugs. And, mm-hmm. and what that is, um, there'll be some people probably in this room who are my age, and older, on HRT. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I, okay. Someone's had too much. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not, but
4: that might be TMI for some people. But actually, um, what my research showed was that people, again, don't know, women don't know this, but if they're on Premarin which basically is a very well-known HRT drug. uh, It stands for pregnant mare's urine, the premarin, and what happens is the mares are kept like dairy cows are kept, pregnant all the time. They have catheters attached to them with bags where the urine drops in. They're in stalls where they can't move around. And they have foals after foals after foals. Some of the foals come back into the Premarin system to produce urine for the drug, and others are just taken to slaughter straight away because they're surplus. So it's very like the dairy industry. And um, when you get this drug prescribed for you, it just says Premarin. And you have to look at the real, like... Small print where it might say equine estrogen, oh. but you know not everyone knows what equine means.
0: And um, so,
4: as so, if you're
0: woman, on and you're having horse hormones. Basically. You
4: are having well, not just horse hormones, but you're having cruelly made, very cruelly yeah. made horse hormone as your replacement therapy. And I presume a lot of women here or people here would not want that. No. So you is choose. there a way to do that kindly? Is there yes, near that... yeah, the synthetic hormone replacement therapy. So, so why you just are we ask. doing that to horses? Because people make a profit from it. <sighs> it's all about profit. And um, so you you just have to, you know... So do your research. Do your research and choose the HRT that's synthetic rather than something okay. that's cruel to animals. And that also good, has a background yeah. of experimentation to it, of course, which um, has been on female animal bodies' genitals. Mm-hmm. Um and you can imagine the pain of that, um, but pain in mice or rats is not even registered in medical science because they're not interested in the suffering of the animals. They're interested in the drugs that they can make for a profit. So you can read about this in Feminist Animal Studies shortly. And Nick, you've got Hang a chapter up. in that, haven't you? Um, Nick's got a chapter
0: in that too. Nick, your, is your chapter on the link between um, cruelty to animals and domestic violence?
5: Not the one in that book, no, but I do do a lot of research um, in that area. And what's
0: the link between those things?
5: Um, I mean, there's a, there's a practical link in that um, those who... If, if abuse is occurring in a family between two adults and there's an animal, a companion animal in the family, chances are that animal is involved in the abuse somehow. Um, really? Yeah, like very often what we see are abusers using animals as coercive control. Oh,
2: so no. do
5: this or don't do this and I'll kill your dog. <gasps> or I won't feed your dog or I won't give you the money to go to the vets if you don't do X, Y or Z as I would like you to. Um, there are far more nefarious ways that animals are used. So they can be used, they can be used in the sex, sexual abuse of women as well mm. by abusers. Um, and, I mean, it's all... It's these mechanisms of power. So it's the same mechanism that we're seeing between human-to-human abuse that we're seeing extended down to the animals in the same way that kids are used in abusive situations.
0: Wow. Sometimes I just think people are awful. <laughs> and are we doing the right thing by allowing climate change to wipe us out? <laughs> cut. Tom, you should probably cut that out of the podcast. Cause... It's a bleak thought, but sometimes you just think, we're the scourge of the earth. We're not, we're, not, we're not doing anything good for this planet. Why do we think we're so amazing we need to be saved? This isn't the message of the guilty feminist. <laughs> I did tell you I'm quite tired from the tour and I may not censor.
3: I think it's because we've said Joe Rogan too many times.
0: Yeah. I think I should cut this out of the podcast. Um, but we have to link off that sad hmm. thing. So, so the, Can you say something? Yes,
3: but it's not going to be happy. Uh,
0: <laughs> um, we're going to be happier than that, that I just said.
3: So is there, a, is there often, like, um, are there instances of people not leaving an abusive situation because they're afraid for the animal? And is, is part of the solution, does there need to be, like, if you go to a, a women's shelter or a refuge, that they can take your animal as well? Like, is
5: that yes. something that happens now? Or Yes, yes and yes. Um, so it absolutely is, is the case that, a lot of people will not leave abusive situations because they know their animal will be harmed. Or alternatively, just, they just love that animal and they don't want to leave, you know? Mm. Um, and it's also the case that if we had more refuges that offered that kind of co-care, mm. then more people would leave. Um,
0: and that's happening now, isn't it? I've heard of this it before. Is.
5: Yeah, there's, there's so- several places around the world, um, and and particularly we've got a couple here that are doing some really good work around this.
0: And presumably also it, it could be a feminist act to reach out to a refuge and say if somebody is hesitating to come or they're saying, can you take my animal, that you could maybe offer to foster animals for a little while to make sure the animal was okay and that the person could visit the animal while they were in an interim situation, I think that would be a really nice thing to offer refugees, because if, I can also see why some refugees don't have the facilities, because mm. if they take in 10 dogs, then, yep. you know, that's, that's its own crisis. Um, uh, <laughs> so that may be something we could do. Um, could you tell us about... Um, we've got to wind up soon, but I just really want to know about the NZCHAS. Well, I'll start that off.
4: And then I'll pass to the new co-director. We, we know that's how it
0: always happens, Annie. You started off, and then Nick has to finish. You throw her the ball, yeah? Because
4: I'm older, she's you know she's like a younger sister. I've got to tell her to say the nitty-gritty stuff. Um, so, Anne's chair stands for the New Zealand Centre for Human Animal Studies, and it was established in 2007 at Canterbury University, the first of its kind in the world. And thank you. And um, (laughs) we basically, um, it's a teaching research hub where we focus on what we call critical animal studies, which is really the study of power relations um, and intersectional relations between um, human forms of oppression and animal forms of oppression and exploitation. And also, um, you know, we're really looking at the ways that it's sort of when you talk about critical animal studies, it's a form of activist scholarship. So it's not just exploring and explaining. There's actually activism behind it. So we want things to change. That's the, one of the key things about NSCHES. Um oh, So it's called
0: NZCHAS? NSCHAS. NSCHAS. Yeah. NSCHAS. So yeah. N-Z-C-H-A-S. NSCHAS. Yeah. Got it. So um, I have to do a shout-out, though, to Philip
4: Armstrong, who actually founded it. He's somewhere here in the audience. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's,
4: he's up very... here he's up is here. he not here well he's a very guilty no, no, feminist. no he's, he's up oh, there okay he is a feminist he's a, and hes he's, uh, he's a good feminist but he's also um, very um, a very good vegan feminist <laughs> anyway um, so in's chairs is really about looking at human oppression and animal oppression and how they link. And we have some absolutely... What I want to do a shout-out to, if I have a bit of time... Yeah, good. ...is our doctoral students who are here tonight. Um, so I'm hoping I remember all the names. I'm a bit nervous. So I want to do a shout-out for Cressida. No? Oh, yay! Yeah. Emily. Kathy.
0: Who knows? This is like the Oscars, isn't it? Now. <laughs> my manager
4: Karcha's just arrived from Russia as a kind of exile big shout out for Karcha because she's new to New Zealand and actually she's (laughs) she's escaped Russia Um,
0: shout out for Karcha that's something else we'll be getting at the bakery tomorrow
4: (laughs) I'm really sorry
0: if I've forgotten all um, all of the all of the doctorate students Emily did I say Emily yeah if you if you're a doctor student and your name hasn't been shouted out, shout out your name now. No, nope, you've done them all. Oh. Oh, thank you, Emily. Thank you. Um, Emily's you great. She's the only extrovert amongst do you, do you, us.
2: <laughs>
0: do you love Annie and Nick? <laughs> yeah, Emily's wonderful. She's our extrovert um, representative. <laughs> you're the you're the one extrovert academic, yeah. and you're not up on the stage. Oh, oh well, difference? I love that. Are you all vegans? Uh, yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, I think so.
4: <laughs> <laughs> she speaks for
0: everyone. Yeah. yeah, I no. Well, we love you, and we'd love to have you on another time. Um, uh, this has been very educational, and I will read more of your stuff. Oh, and you. uh, I find uh, I find you're brilliant advocates for it, um, uh, because you make me want to do it oh, rather than make you. me feel. Uh, shamed for not doing it, which I think is a wonderful thing.
4: Um, <laughs> We're not vegan-angelical, though. Yeah. Oh, no. Good. That is v- my word of the night, v- I've got to say. Vegan-gelical.
0: Vegan-gelical. Yeah, that's it's fantastic. It's a little
3: bit Andrew Lloyd Webber, isn't it? <laughs> vegan-gelicals can, <laughs> vegan-gelicals do. <laughs> <too.
0: laughs> um, it's time to close the show, uh, but before we do that, is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say Anything you want us to read? Anything you want us to go to? Anything you need money for? Anything at all that you need help with?
4: Oh hell. Well I wish you'd asked. Told us that question was coming. We could have thought a lot about that.
0: Um, <laughs> just any, anything at all that you want to plug, tell us about, say? Yeah. Just anything that you came to say that you think, oh, I didn't quite make that point.
5: I would say that you can't smash the patriarchy without including other animals.
4: Mm. <laughs> And I would say, if if anyone here is an environmentalist or interested in climate change and stopping it, you can't do that without addressing
0: agriculture.
4: Stop eating meat. Simple as.
0: Um, we had uh, the uh, head of the Environment Council on, and she said the three things that... We, we can do you know, governments need to do stuff, corporations really need to do stuff but she said there's one thing that we can all do she said three things we, no one wants to do she said don't have children don't fly on planes and don't, and don't eat animals and uh, so uh, my thing is two out of three, yeah, everyone's got to do two out of three, so that's when I cut back, I, for a long time I wasn't eating meat at all and uh, it has crept in back in a bit and I, every day I don't have a baby Every day I get up, continue not to have a baby. I've
3: only had one. I've had one, but I'm not going to have any more. Well,
0: if you're not having one today, that's the best you can do. Um, uh, you have been absolutely phenomenal guests. Big round of applause for Annie Potts and Nick Taylor. And the incredible Cal Wilson. And the wonderful Tussiata Arva you had a good night well in that case uh, please please come along next time as soon as we, we I think we're going to release dates quite soon um, just so we Last can keep time it on you a roll you that there was a pandemic I we? know I know I know I know I know but um, please come out and please come out again and please bring your friends and in the meantime there are 300 episodes of the podcast you can listen to those there's a back catalogue they're all free they're all online and wherever you get your podcast, Guilty Feminist and uh, there's a book that I wrote uh, which isn't free you have to buy it please buy it and Cal anything you need us to do watch or listen to or give money to
3: um, uh, you can buy my kids books George and the Great Bum Stampede George and the Great Brain Swappery um, two very serious documentaries um, laughter yeah, buy my kids' books. follow me on... Uh, I'm on TikTok. What a strange place that is. Um, uh, it really is. Yes. It really uh, is. If you're not on TikTok, you're leading a full, rewarding life and you don't have to go. <laughs> uh, but do <laughs> follow me on TikTok and on Instagram, Calboy Wilson. And uh, I'm doing a doco that hopefully will come to New Zealand next year, but I'll have to tell you about that when I'm allowed to.
0: Follow Cal Wilson wherever you are. Um, can I just say a huge, huge round of applause as well? For uh, Michael Attour, manager, and everyone here at the James Hay Theatre, <laughs> and keep that applause going. Only build up to end the show. It's the incredible Grace Petrie.
6: Here I am. How do you feel about singing along, Christchurch? Uh, Ago, I was asked to write a song about the Spanish Civil War, um, and <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever laughed. It's quite that. left
0: field, Grace. To be fair.
6: Yeah. Well, I mean, it, that wasn't the end of the story. That was a comma, but you threw me off with the laugh. <laughs> I was was asked to write a song about the Spanish Civil War. I didn't know anything about the Spanish Civil War, and I went away and I read about it and learned about it. Um, And the reason I didn't know anything about it is because they don't teach us about it in schools, right? Um, And uh, and I wrote this song because I was asked to write a song about it. But uh, this is where it comes. This is where the relevance comes in, right? With everything that we've been talking about here, this is the song that I wrote, and it ended up being about more than just that one subject. It was about uh, trying to make a better world for our children than the world we inherited, right? I think as long As we're trying to do that. I'm realizing as I'm saying this, your whole thing was about not having children and how we need to not have children. But for the children that are already here, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Um, It's complicated. Cal's got some children's books. I mean, if we don't have children, who's going to buy them? I don't know. where I'm going with this is this is a song about making a better tomorrow right and it's got a sing-along chorus it's got a line where you're just gonna I'm gonna shout uh, stand up today and you're gonna reply save tomorrow are you with me Christchurch okay, it goes like this stand, stand up today that we might save tomorrow amazing it's like three of those in the chorus and what we do is we're just gonna keep singing until the patriarchy falls uh, are you with me good Nor my countryman, Nor my sister or my friend, but you're my comrade. Be so silver the last, they shall not pass. They shall not pass. Now blood is running through the streets of Spain, and London gripped in fear. Oh smell of gunfire, sound of breaking glass. You shall not pass. Nor past. And why fight the good fight? Fight the good fights. Why not let them burn? I dread the day when the suffering of my fellow is none of my concern. So stand up today that we might save tomorrow. Oh, I know there's a way that we might save tomorrow. For his creed or for his colour nor the one he his, his lover nor his class you that beckon me that way shall not pass and you speak of ideology He's speak of people like they're poor. His whose motives like these frosted glass you shall not no pass. In the name now of humanity, no left, no right, no black, no white, it's had a fascist flag now from its mast, it shall no pass, it shall not pass. And why fight the good fire? When you show no part
0: Listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co host Cal Wilson, and our very special guests, Annie Potts, Nick Taylor, and Tusiata Avia. Music was by Grace Petrie. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodger, and the producer was Tom Sinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Michael Hayes, Bone Presents, and everyone at the James Hay Theatre, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. If, I've, if it's Tuesday, this must be Christchurch. Um, <laughs> Who, who's going to tell her it's not Tuesday? <laughs> no, I've no idea what day of the week it is. Honestly, it honestly could be literally any day of the week. I've, you know that period between Christmas and New Year where you go, what are days? And you couldn't identify Thursday or anything like that. I, that's what it's like for me sometimes being on tour. What day is it? Friday. It's Friday. They've said September. The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from ACAST. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.